collapse of the Soviet Union because we wanted to get trade and make more friends, but it's not worth it. Um, they'll never learn. They'll never change. That's what Russia is. And you got to just deal with it. So let's, uh, I don't know, Em, you want to address that and we'll go to Taylor? Yeah, perhaps. Uh, and sadly, uh, so this is one of the earliest examples of disinformation. Word of mouth, the press, the internet. Nothing has changed. It is one of the earliest examples of disinformation that in 2022, you still got people with college education who would parrot it. It doesn't matter what medium you're using for dissemination. It doesn't matter what medium you're using to consume your content or your news or your knowledge or whatever you want to categorize or define. It is one completely fictitious story based on one town urban legend that has survived for centuries. And it is still being consumed today, today, by people who got a high school certificate, by people who got a college certificate, by people who even finished their postgrad or PhD certificates. It's one of the sad realities of humanity. And it reflects clearly the human condition, like Axel likes to say. Yeah, Alex, Doesn't... can I ask where you lived when your neighbor said this to you? Like, what, what, what was the year and where, what country? Well, it was Tbilisi. It was early 70s. Um, but it was uh, like we were living in a block of flats and there were people from all over the... Most of them were Georgians. Uh, there were some... Uh, uh, there were Armenians. There were a couple of Jew families. Um, there was even somebody from Bulgaria, I believe. Uh, but um, yeah, it was it, it, it was multinational. At some point, uh, you know, my dad is Georgian, so I was speaking fluent Georgian. But then uh, my uh, mom, she grew up in Western Ukraine, where my grandma is coming from, and she was baptized Jew, and she ran to Georgia at the beginning of war, like in 1941, when Germans attacked. So she ran all the way to Georgia. And the reason she decided to go to Georgia, because somebody told her that Georgians are okay with Jews. And uh, that's where she met my grandpa. And then for some time, they went back to Western Ukraine, where my mom grew up. And then, uh, but my mom also wanted to look for her, you know, uh, for for the roots of her dad, that's why she went to study in Georgia and met my dad. But yeah, it's kind of, but it, it was kind of multicultural environment. And the reason I told that is because uh, I had to kind of look at the world from two eyes. One is kind of Georgian, uh, the other really. I, I, I'm fluent with Russian. I was uh, speaking Russian to my mom. My grandma loved that story to tell me the stories of war and how she was trying to escape, uh, basically Nazis. Um, and uh, yeah, it was all fascinating stories. But uh, there is so technically, your mother, I, I had your no mother, problem talking to people your, with from different. Uh, di- yeah, we so, know that, Alex. We know you're not a racist. That's fine. Listen, uh, so someone. My whole point of that, what I was trying to get to, 
is that in, in the early 70s, there was a child who lived near you whose parents, uh, ostensibly his parents told him that Jews make matzah with the blood of Christian babies. That's the funny part I'm trying to say. So in Russia in the early 70s, what was happening in the early 70s in America? Women were burning bras, civil rights was kicking off. What was happening in Soviet Union in the early 70s? Parents were telling their kids that Jews make matzah with blood. I mean, that's the disparity. I'm just trying to highlight the disparity between the two. Do you see what I mean? I don't remember who exactly told me that, but uh, like I said, there, there were uh, a few Russian families uh, and all kids were playing together. So um, I, I don't want to like uh, finger point and being wrong, but someone no. clearly told <laughs> someone me that. To- someone told yes, you're so racist. You're so racist. You just assume if somebody said that he must be Russian. Um, you know, I, no one. I had a lot of no one. Alex, 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 thank you. Alex, 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 thank you. No one, please do not abuse the mic. Please raise your hand. If you would like to talk, we will let you talk. You have been on here before, and that's perfectly fine. Please don't interrupt Alex. Please don't interrupt anyone. You will get a chance to voice your opinions. And we understand that you have grievances. And we understand that you love Russia. And that's 100% okay. And we would love to see more people like you on this space. And we would like to see more Russians voicing their opinion and their concerns and their grievances. Please, no one. Do not abuse the mic, and please do not interrupt anyone. No one he- here hates Russians. No one here hates Russia. No one here oh wants God, to... Oh, my God, I just so much of racist things against yeah, Russians. Yeah, well, like please, that. please, I, I extended your courtesy, so please extend that back to me. No one here wants to see Russia disintegrates into separate uh, republics or whatever. No one here wants to invade your country. No one here wants to separate uh, the Federation of Republics into uh, independent republics. No one here wants to massacre Russians or kill Russians or invade Russia. No one. You are and you can be a valuable addition to this space. So please just raise your hand and I promise you I will go to you first. That was my intention. And this is what I will do. Do not interrupt Alex. Let Alex finish his point, And I will go straight to you, please. Alex, please continue. Yeah, uh, I should make an important uh, correction, though. Um, it is very well possible that uh, whoever told it to me, it was told. I know KGB was uh, still, you know, uh, peddling this thing, and that's how. Uh, that's another thing, you know. Uh, throughout my life, I did meet people who liked to make anti-Semitic jokes, and uh, eventually, at some point, I found that they were, um, well, they they were uh, thinking very high of KGB, pretty much, and they were trying to find kind of common grounds. Uh, I, and I can speak about Russians who were living in Georgia, and I'm not saying about all of them, but I would say I met, did meet a couple of people who were Russians who grew up in Georgia. They were trying to kind of find common ground with Georgians making these anti-Semitic jokes. Yeah. I cannot I- tell how successful they were. I don't think they were successful at all because I met a lot of people from Israel who are uh, who are who have Georgians uh, like 
Georgian Jews from Georgia, friends. So uh, anti-Semitism clearly did not take roots in Georgia, but uh, that's what I can tell that KGB was actively peddling this whole topic. Yeah. And that's, uh, to begin with, Lavrov brought it here, not me. So Yeah. Well, just, just, for, just for clarity, uh, this isn't a Russian, just a Russian problem. I mean, anti-Semitism has existed. Uh, even in this time we've been talking, people from Lithuania said I grew up with the same stories. Um, it's not just a Russian. It's a, it's, a, it's a medieval Christian Europe thing. So I don't want to dwell on it too much. The blood libel, for those who are interested, please just go look it up yourself. It's quite prolific. There's a lot of data on it. And uh, to no one, I, I don't think that anyone particularly was saying this was just a Russian problem. It's definitely a European thing. It's a worldwide problem, actually. Uh, Murat mentioned uh, being in, um, in, in the Arab world and the Muslim world. So, um, yeah, let's go ahead to the next uh, point. Thanks. That. Oh, by the way, if your mother's mother's Jewish, Alex, but by Jewish law, you're Jewish, too. So that's funny. Um, I know, but I was told I need to, uh, like... Uh divorce and marry a Jewish girl too. No, you don't. It doesn't affect your Jewishness. Uh, technically, if your mother's mother's Jewish, you're Jewish. But anyways, welcome to the club. All right, another lizard Alex, person. Sorry, you know, Alex. Alex. Alex, never divorce the love of your life for any religion. Yeah. No, for no, that no, no one told. Yeah, that, that's not that's not true. No one's. You don't. Your Jewishness isn't incumbent on who you marry. So anyway, someone silly might have told him that. Okay, Taylor, go ahead, and then we're gonna go to. Um, no one. And let's, then let's, Roy- go, let's go to no one first, Yehuda, please, because okay. I promise. Yeah, I have so much racism here against Russians, like in the speech about like in seventies, like uh, people who were in Brazil, United States, and Russian people who were just talking about. Okay, like, that's not racism. How Jews- it is a racism, sorry. Uh, really? It's the same kind of racism. Yeah, it is a racism. Sorry. Hey, just so, so you know, like, just so you know, Russia is not a race, but I, I said, I said, Soviet. Russia is not a race. Yeah, I, I, I actually said the Soviet Union. I didn't say Russians. I said in the Soviet Union, this was happening in the early 70s. If you think that Russia or the Soviet Union wasn't anywhere, if you think that Soviet Union was anywhere near as developed as the West was in 1970, I think you need to give your head a shake because it clearly wasn't. Go ahead. Go ahead, no one. And I'll be heard this time around. Yeah, hey, Royal, uh, Royal, let me let, let me deal with him. No, let me mic. deal with him. Let me de- let me deal with him. Hey, Royal, put up your hand and wait like everyone else. Do you see how everyone else is waiting? So just put up your hand and then wait to be called on. We're gonna go to no, yeah, no one. Thank you. Go ahead, yeah. no one. So basically, I heard comments here like saying that Soviet Union didn't have the bras in seventies. Instead of wearing bras, they were basically spreading anti-Jewish propaganda. That's what they were busy doing. Interesting take, and it was actually extremely interesting when the person said, I don't remember who said it to me, and you assumed straight away that he was Russian. Okay, when you said that hate of Russians is not uh, some kind of racism, you have to go to United Nations definition of what is racism. It's actually kind of discrimination against any ethnic, linguistic, or religious group. It doesn't matter if it's a race or not, it's still a racism. So Jews are not a race as well. So you're going to say mm, that the okay. Jews is not Jews, a Jews race. Jews is a race. But do, do me a favor. What is your, if Jews you're from Russia, Russia, Jews is an ethnic group. It's an ethno-religious group. Yeah, it's yes. an ethnic group. Yeah, it's yeah, an it's ethno, ethno, ethnic, Russian group. ethnic religious group. Correct. Now, tell me something. If Russia has no problem with anti-Semitism historically, are you, are you Russian? I'm Ukrainian. Ukrainian. Grew up okay. in Russia. 
Okay. So do you know what fifth line stupid is or fifth column stupid is? Do you know what that means? No, I don't know what you're doing. You're too young maybe. So does anyone here grew up in Russia uh, who's older than 40 or 50? Uh, it's about anti-Semitism in Russia. It's, uh, you can find as many examples as you want. You have to hear to Ber Lazar, who's the chief rabbi of Russia, who's actually an Orthodox Jew, and you have to hear his, his speech where he said basically mm-hmm. that the Jewish position was never better under any leader of Russia as it is under Putin. Like, I grew up in Russia, I didn't know what is anti-Semitism. I had the Jewish professors, I had, uh, like, uh, Jewish friends and so on. The only um, place where I faced some anti-Semitism was actually in France, where I went to Sorbonne Law School, and where basically um, I understood that Jewish kind of a kind of privileged class here, at least in law. And when I heard those guys, basically, like I couldn't understand it. Like in in Russia, basically, the Jews are the same as the most of them are secular, and they're the same as everyone else. But but here, when I heard Jewish students who tried to tell me, yeah, probably you have some Jewish origin as well, between themselves, calling. Any girl who wasn't Jewish, just a pute, pute it means, basically means a bitch. And like, yeah. I heard all those stories, like, I, I, I can't, like, but I couldn't become anti Semite after that. Yeah. I couldn't become anti Semite after that because I have too many friends which are Jewish. Actually, I, I yeah. lived together with a girl who is actually Jewish, Jewish origin. Her uncle was a um, chief rabbi of Russia before, uh, before actually this Berlazar took this place. Okay. So, so there I can become back. Okay. The only place I faced, I really saw anti-Semitism was actually friends. Yeah. So okay. I don't understand what you're talking about. No, I'm sure like, you don't. I'm sure you don't. I'm sure you don't. So you're saying the real problem with uh, about anti-Semitism in Europe is actually France. They're the issue. Russia, good to go. Got it. All right. Well, no, I, no, that's not what I'm saying. That's not what I'm saying. I said to you that while while living in Russia, I never, never, never. Actually, I like I, I I never saw anti anti-Semitism. Never heard it from anyone. Never heard any anyone saying like probably there was some jokes, but really bad jokes. Oh, like, just some jokes. Know, have... Okay, so that's fine. I, well, listen, yeah, I'm my... gonna yeah. I, I'm just gonna say this. I I've grown up. My my wife is Ukrainian. I've grown up around Russians um my life. Uh, I have never in my life heard anyone dumb enough to actually say that they've never or they don't think anti-Semitism is a problem in Russia. I think you either are not being honest or you don't know what anti-Semitism is or you didn't get out much. Uh, making bad jokes about Jews, you know, when Jews aren't around, maybe that's a sign that there's something a little deeper going on. So, sorry, Uliana, if you want to jump in. My mind is a little blown, uh, but go ahead, Uliana, and then we're going to go to Taylor. Go ahead. Yeah, pretty much the same. And what is Russian foreign policy now? And what is their attitude to Israel, basically? First of all, claiming that Ukraine is like a neo-Nazi state and then actually blaming the Israel, who were like the prime victims of uh, the Nazism, blaming them for cooperating with the neo-Nazi regime. So kind of like what is Russia doing now? Or or what did the Soviet Union do to Israel during its creation, try to destroy it? Yeah, come on. Yeah, and just uh, you can also Google the doctor's case, which took uh, place during the USSR, basically blaming Jewish doctors for uh, doctors plotting. Plot. 
doctor's plot for uh, basically accusing uh, Jewish doctors for a kind of assassination of uh, Soviet officials, which is, was without an evidence and unbased and just sort of like prime examples of anti-Semitism. It's, so, a, it's, a, it's another blood libel. It was before Stalin died. He was planning on, on murdering tens of thousands of Jewish doctors. Um, so it's, he, the man was crazy. Um, anyway, yeah, sorry, Uliana, go on. Yeah, so basically it's like it's like a prime examples of anti-semitism of like uh, and, of, and of course unbased one as well so your claims regarding like there is no anti-semitism in, in russia is is completely unbased of course and again either you're lying or you have no idea what anti-semitism yeah. is i mean if you want to say it got better when the soviet union collapsed and, and people became slightly more educated or more cultured or more open maybe that's an argument you could make but Russia historically has been pretty, like, pretty rapidly anti-Semitic. Anyways, thanks for that. I want to want to switch gears a bit. I don't want to turn this into uh, um, the wrong topic. I'm going to ask uh, Royal Prince to speak from Buganda. I'm not sure that's a place, but go ahead. Do you have a question or comment? And now the floor is yours. Enjoy it. Go through. Uh, this time around. Yeah. Um... I'm a prince from Uganda Kingdom. From I mean, in Uganda. Uh, what do we call you, Your Royal Highness, Prince? How do we address you, Prince Nachibinge? Thank you. Yeah, um, I've been listening. I've been following you guys, and um, actually, I don't know the word. The word which you uh, you're using is wrong. But in in Africa, we can say they are xenophobic. That's no, they are xenophobic. Actually, when I, I don't want to talk about the Jews, I just want to go straight to the, to Russia. If I was, if uh, uh, Putin was in Africa, uh, I don't know. We would have been. I mean, we would have trained some guys and take him out a long time ago. Um, um, when I go to the Jews, actually, I don't know. I don't hate Jews because I've been in Europe. Last week I was in the UK. Um, oh, that's nice. Thank you for not hating me. Yeah, I don't hate Jews, but uh, you, I know. You, I don't know, you fold your Bible. Uh, you fold the Bible, I don't know. You fold Jesus Christ. We, we kind of wrote the Bible, but go ahead. Yeah, because um, because there's no way how you can enter my house and uh, you become the boss. It's okay. then it's written in the Bible uh, whether right. the foreigner will come in your country and then take over and start. That's what's happening now in Palestinian. Um yeah, uh, when I talk about when I go back to the uh, to the topic, which is at the head of this this uh, this this group, is a Russia inv- invading uh, Ukraine. Actually, um, I I love Russia, but yeah, my, heart in, my, my heart is in Ukraine. My heart is in Ukraine. Actually, uh, there's no way. There's no way you guys are uh, the guys in Ukraine. How they can take out? Uh, and they can take out uh, the president rather than killing the people. You know, in our car, in Africa here, you cannot pray to the people's mind for long, and then you come invade Uganda, and then you go free. We shall find a way how to take you out. You, we shall take you, you out. Me then. or who? No, I mean the president. The president. Okay. We shall find a way how to take you out than killing the people are happening and even i see the america they are putting they're sending the, um, uh, the equipments and the jets and whatever there's no way how you guys you can train somebody and if you cannot if you don't have power 
you guys come to Africa and then you ask for the help. We can take out that guy within a week. Within a do, week. Do you think you could go over then and take out Putin for us there, Princey? I know Russia. I've been in Russia. I've been in Ukraine. I'm, uh, I train in UK. So I don't think there is any country which can be, which will be so difficult. There's no president which is immune. There's no president which is more powerful than the United States. I think these All people right, are playing with their head. Yeah. Um, yeah, perfect. I'm, I'm moving a little bit to your topic because I can see I've been following Prince you it. and uh, you left from... Hello? Yes, please. Yes, I yeah, can hear you. Yeah, well, the Egyptian Military Intelligence Reconnaissance Department, yes. which is yes. probably one of our weakest intelligence services, have mm. been moving you guys right, left, and center for years. Yes. How are Where? you planning exactly on taking on Russia or anyone else? Um, not Uganda. Not Uganda. Let me remind you. Let me remind you, the president of Burundi was a problem, was a threat to East Africa. Dude, it, it took, I do yeah, this for a living. We've yes, been moving I, you guys my, right, my, myself. and sent even, even my, for even more myself. than 40 years. And you come on here and you're trying to tell everyone here that you're willing on to take on uh, Putin and whatever. Now, I mean, we gave this, you the courtesy of the mic because you've been coming on and asking for the mic for so many days and so on and so no, forth. I've been listening. But I've been listening. Please, yes, 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 I have, I have been yeah. watching you and I've been seeing you listening. I'm not trying to disrespect you or anything, yeah. but I'm mm. calling you Princey because Yehuda extended that courtesy. But for the love of God, can you be a little bit realistic in your approach mm. and you can yeah. be a little bit concise in exactly what you're trying to convey here? Because with all due respect, with all due respect, I mean, there was a video coming out of, uh, of Canada a few days ago of a nice police officer who told one of uh, the leftist uh, uh, demonstrators trying to get a rise out of him that he cannot or could not take them seriously. And I cannot take you seriously right now. And no one here can take you seriously right now. So in one minute, not 30 seconds, I'll give you one minute. Can you please yeah. field a case? to be taken seriously. Okay. Okay. You, you know, because I, I've been listening to you for long and uh, you left from the point and then you went to Israel, this one talking about xenophobic and, and then that, that, that. So I would have been, I would have um, followed you uh, when we are talking about Ukraine and not talk about the, the religion. I mean, uh, they yeah. tried or... Let us talk about Ukraine and Russia because I could feel uh, I could feel more because we put the energy in those two countries. How are we going to solve that? Because it's infecting us in Africa here. It's no one infecting is infecting all... you. No one is infecting you. First lieutenants. Is... First, first lieutenants. Hang on. First lieutenants and captains who mm. have reported to me have mm. been moving you left, right, and center. Can you please, no. for the love of you, you God... Didn't, you didn't understand. You didn't understand what I'm talking. No, I, I the, understand the, I'm talking about the war. Can you, yes. for the love of God, for the love of language, for the love of logic, just field a case in a minute specifically yes. as to what you are trying to tell us? Yeah, what I'm trying to tell you is that, that let us, I mean, discuss to the point, how are we going, how are we going to stop this war in Ukraine? I, I would feel more happy. I would be waiting for that. We are stopping this war by giving the Ukrainian government, the Ukrainian armed forces, and the Ukrainian people the supplies, the equipment they need to stop 
another country, another army, another government from invading their sovereign territory, killing their civilians, shelling their civilian population centers, and but undermining their sovereignty, undermining their peace. Undermining their peace, their peace. But Russia is more powerful. I think it's second the world. To, they, they just want to go to school. They just want to go to college. They just want to make art. They just want to innovate on technology. They just want to engage in commerce. They just want to live in peace. That's it. All right. Thanks. We're gonna okay. we got a lot of hands up here, so we're gonna go to the next question. So why don't you why don't you make a question up for us, uh, uh, Prince? And we're gonna go with John Spencer. Um, uh, can we change gears here? What's going on, John? Hey, good, good morning, John Spencer, long-time listener, first-time caller. Uh, <laughs> uh, so I have actually a question, I think Axel maybe. Um, you know, I have a CNN spot here later. Later, for some reason, the mass media thinks that Belarus could actually join the war effort. I know um, we've talked about this in the space, but I guess they, they did some type of snap military drill. Um, sparking the Ukrainian officials to say we're ready if, if you, Belarus. I mean, everything from my understanding is that um, while it is a Russian puppet, uh, you know, with Lushenko, but I, mean, I just never saw that being an option, especially with the amazing uh, Belarusian resistance that helped so much in the beginning of this. And while it is a safe haven for Russian forces and logistical supplies, what's the likelihood that the panel thinks that Belarus could join the fight? Uh, well, it's increasingly, that's something uh, more than ever now that's, that's I personally think, and from some of the noise I'm hearing, um, there could be a very uh, weak feint delivered by them. Uh, I don't think, I think it's obviously super bad, as you know, they're putting pressure on Donbass, right? And you got 20 BTGs on a very narrow uh, axis, right, towards Izium. That's problematic. Uh, any amount of, um, you know, uh, reorienting forces to deal with anything Belarus. I'm not unconvinced, though, that if Belarus does something that, uh, you know, that might be a bridge too far at this point, you know, with respect to NATO and EU countries. Um, I'm going to throw it out there. I think it's pretty uh, controversial if I say it. But I think we're getting to the point where uh, we're getting closer to closer, closer and closer to a peer-on-peer war between people we didn't expect that this would happen with. I don't know how you feel about that, John, but because um, I know it wouldn't, it, it's a low-hanging fruit as well, right? Belarus is not feeling something really strong. Right, so I think it's, I mean, I could, you know, and this is why I wanted, you know, actual and a couple of the more European-focused scholars, and, and I'm not, right? So I don't know the status of the Belarusian military in size or capability of training and readiness, but I just, personally, it feels like a a Russian directive on, hey, do this, you know, in, you know, basically do this exercise, do this show of something um, to support us. We're not asking you to cross the wire and fight anybody, but just do this to, you know, be a part of this overall campaign of information operations and what ifs and things like that. Yeah, I think we're going to start digging up uh, Belarus' uh, capabilities. Obviously, we'd have to take it with a grain of salt. Um, I'm not sure if Axel's tracking that, but it's one of these things that I thought 
you know, never would be possible, but just with the length of the war and how it's been prosecuted and Ukrainian and, and really also European investment, right? I think uh, one of those factors we didn't consider, a lot of people didn't talk about is um, how invested Europe wants to get and, and how, how invested, if they did get so invested, uh, would there be a point of no return where they'd say, hey, we're going to pull, pull out all the stops? Uh, now it's more clear politically, geopolitically, that Russia can't win um, because, you know, the message, the signal it sends uh, is pretty great. I'm not sure what Belarus could do, frankly. Obviously, I want to, like, lean towards not much. But even not much, anything that um, distracts from the Ukrainian war effort in the southeast is obviously a big problem. So that's where I sit with that. Osint, you want to jump in there? Yeah, no, I'll just go back to what I said yesterday, that uh, what the sec- the defence secretary from the US, when he said that the as a collective alliance, everyone will not allow um, the security of Ukraine to be threatened, and I think that, that as you were saying, things things are just getting closer and closer, and more 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 parties are, are seem to be getting dragged into it. So, um, but I, I, I'm going to look into the Belarusian um, military, see what they've got. Um, I know they were, they were doing an exercise uh, very recently. They um, yeah, worked like a show okay. of force. Yeah, yeah, yesterday. No, yeah. So I think Mache, Mache has a few things on this one, and I can chime in. But Mache, why don't you give you uh, give your two cents? Yeah, sorry for for jumping in like that, but it's actually like a glorious moment for me when I can uh, give uh, John Spencer some of my expertise, and usually it's the other way around, so so I like to use that. So politically, uh, we have to remember that Lukashenko is in a really precarious situation, right? Uh, there was an election that he probably lost, he didn't control it as well as Putin controls it, and actually there is, a, for the West, there is a well-known alternative to Lukashenko, which is Svetlana Chihanovska and her political media, I would say, and uh, of course, it's so. So, Belarusian opposition is much more strong, and not only when it comes to those sabotage groups that were sabotaging the rail lines uh, at the beginning of the invasion, but also as as a real alternative, which is completely different situation uh, as uh, for Russia than in Russia. So, so probably Lukashenko makes these calculations that if he goes too far with this. Uh, he knows that his own society can raise uh, against himself and his position is really precarious, especially uh, especially because, uh, you know, the Russian military, which is overextended, cannot oh, come to his aid. John, sorry, I don't know if you want to add something or your mic is hot. Sorry, uh, I, I was going to add something to the opposition. Oh. You there? Yeah, yeah, go on. No, I had a, a question. I think I saw the the Belarusian opposition leader is a female on CNN, basically the one that's contesting. When when is yes, that? Yes, that's when, Yeah, when is that election? It was. It was. Oh, was. She won it. She won it. That's uh, what Lukashenko then suppressed, and she uh, left the country. Her husband is still imprisoned, and. Uh, uh, the problem is that a large part of her support apparatus did not make it out and they have been tortured, imprisoned. And uh, as Walter once said when we had a chat about this, um, a large part of the opposition has been massively suppressed and part of their, shall we say, part of their spirit eviscerated. 
that does not mean that they are weak. They are just they have been hit hard, uh, but they had mass protests of hundreds of thousands of people there on the streets. So as a consequence, um, it's a very precarious situation given the fact that we do have now. Was a, is it now two battalions, two Belarusian battalions in the Ukrainian armed forces? Can somebody please correct me? Is it two or three? Or is it just that the, the size is so substantial by now? That's so one know. is Kalinowski and the second one, I don't remember the name, but I'm sure there are two. Yeah, that, two and the third one is then being built up now. That, that, I think that's it. So there are Belarusians fighting valiantly, which is which disproves the often stated notion that the Belarusians had no fighting spirit left in them, which is complete and utter garbage, of course. But this is from the infighting of, of the opposition. Uh, for them, it's very difficult that they're outside of this process politically, and nobody has been willing to support them because they're bordering NATO countries. So that is the precarious situation I think you would also alluded to. But there is a change in opinion now. And I think both Lithuania, which takes this very seriously, and Poland, um, are very willing to support the Belarusian opposition if ever asked. Just one small uh, addition to that. Uh, actually, I know many people that are connected to the Belarusian opposition. And when it comes to like the background talks, and I'm not uh, unveiling, this is, this is just the atmosphere. So Tichanowska and her uh, like political environment, they were, their plan, the first plan was just to overthrow Lukashenko and then to try to make a deal with Russia, because for them it was unimaginable for Belarus to to exist in a, you know uh, without without Russia. But actually, what's happening now, due to Russia losses, they are actually uh, switching more to a westward direction, and there are really serious talks being made in uh, in with Chikanovska in different European countries. So I think Lukashenko is sure to to be really really careful. Because I think he's in danger both from Putin right now and both from opposition in the West. So, so his his position is super precarious. And he um, tried to deflect and and shall we say tone down the issue of uh, yesterday's maneuvering. Um, I don't know much. When was it? Uh, sometime at two o'clock this afternoon. It came across the radio that he had already made a statement that uh, these um, um, uh, dry uh, drills and uh, dry runs were only. Uh, necessary because there was such a large uh, uh, NATO presence and this is not nothing unusual. So as a consequence, he is trying yet again, playing both sides, showing Putin that he is willing to do something, but then again, not really doing it. And on the other side, trying to establish that, there, you know, on the one hand, there are strengths towards, towards the West, but please don't be afraid of me. Uh, he's not in a good place. Thanks so much. Yeah, probably Uliana would like to add to that also. Yeah, even if Belarus kind of joins with his army, it's not that big and it's not as efficient. And of course, if there is this level of embezzlement, like of like Russian uh, funds within the Russian army in Belarus, it's all like on a much much bigger scale. So its army is not efficient, and its army does not want to fight that, that much to begin with. There is also some rumors that Lukashenko is afraid of engaging his army, of giving them kind of weapons and munitions, because then his regime will be pretty much endangered. And uh, another thing is that basically the worst case scenario with Belarus being involved in this war has already happened because Russians are basically using this country to deploy and uh, launch missiles. And of course, the whole uh, kind of advance on Kiev was happening from the Belarusian border when where, where there is like 
Ukrainian uh, Chernigiv regions borders with Belarusia. So it's basically an occupation now by Russian forces. And I think Tikhanovskaya also made an appeal to the UN for, uh, to, for, the, for the UN to recognize that Belarus is a Russian occupation. I kind of also uh, would add this, John, just take it for what it is, but I heard something through a grapevine of little green Polish men, if you know my reference. Yeah, so... If I may add to this, um, while I'll, uh, I, I think uh, I agree with everybody uh, that uh, Lukashenko is not in a position to now join fight uh, on the side of Putin. But at the same time, I would consider it uh, somewhere in the lines with what is happening in Transnistria because they both understand that engaging with Ukrainians will be suicidal for them. Uh, however, they do uh, require Ukrainians to allocate fairly large troops, you know, to kind of defuse the risk. And uh, that's how they are actually helping Russians uh, in a way, because uh, as Western weapon is flowing into Russia, things can turn pretty bad for Russian troops there very quickly. And that's where... Uh, I believe that's where Russians are also putting pressure where they can to kind of make Ukrainians, you know, basically, yeah, make Ukrainians allocate troops somewhere else, not just in the... Yeah, or even just the threat of it. Yeah. All right, so go to no one has hand and no one, Donnie, and stop. Go ahead, no one. Or you should change them to anyone or something, something because no one sounds so dismissive. Thank you. First, uh, very first correction to what you said that like 10,000 people were killed during the doctor's uh, trials and so on. It's completely like, untrue. I was just... Uh, tens Sorry, of... listen, I don't mind you. No one, like, man, no uh, one. Quit no, coming on, on here. And I didn't, hold on. Just, just for the record, I didn't say 10,000 were killed. I said they were sl slated. They wanted to kill. So if you're going to get mad at me, just get mad at me about things I say and not things you misheard. Go ahead. Okay. First of all, like uh, there was just tens of people arrested. You can find the list of all of them. It's very accessible. I hope your assessment on Russian situation is probably on the same level as your assessment of uh, those trials. Yeah, and actually, the hopefully Russian strategy at this place. Yeah. Can I finish? Okay. I'm just remove. I'm sorry. I don't normally do this, but I can't believe I'm listening to a person defending Stalin. Man's defending Stalin of all people. Okay, let's go on. I'm sorry, um, Donnie, you had your hand up. Yeah, I just I know we've kind of moved on, but I just wanted to discuss a little bit of the demographics of Jews in Russia. The moment Jews have a have a chance to leave Russia, they leave Russia. Uh, let's say so. For instance, in Israel, 1.2 million Russian Jews. United States, 350,000 Russian Jews. Germany. 178,000 Russian Jews. Russia, 160,000. Germany has more Russian Jews than Russia. And they're not even religious Jews. Um, Israel has the right to return, which is basically based on Nazi Germany's um, laws of if they're Jewish. So in Nazi Germany, you had to be 1 16th Jewish to be considered a Jew to be gassed to death. So Israel, in its creation, took that rule and said, if you were to die in a gas chamber as a Jew, 
you were allowed to be Jew in Israel. So this led to basically practicing Christians that had 116th or 216th Jewish heritage in Russia to immigrate to Israel. So when Christians that have one or two 16th Jewish heritage are feel safer in, in Israel than they do in Russia, that says a lot. And, and just on a side note, the museum, the Jewish museum in Moscow is called the Jewish Museum and Tolerance Center. They are lauding themselves for tolerance, for being tolerant of the Jew. Not so. Not, not throwing the Jew down the well, as Boris says. Okay, let's we're gonna we're gonna okay, so know, that's, that's it. let's Thank shift you. away. Let's shift yeah. away from the world's perennial uh, villain here. Uh, <laughs> I don't want to hear uh, anymore about my myself. Uh, let's uh, go. Thank you for that. Uh, let's go to Alex and stop your dentally. Hey. Uh, Thank you for having me. A beautiful day here on Parliament Hill. I wish, you know, <laughs> the walls weren't as thick because I tried to join earlier and it cut me out. But uh, one uh, thing I just wanted to mention about thank you for bringing up the protocols, incredibly important book or whatever it is, uh, terrible bout of poison. And it's not uh, to go even further back to our conversation about conspiracies. This is really like the origin of modern conspiracism in our world. Uh, so it's very important to learn about. Uh, because, uh, well, you know, anything about banking and, you know, cabals controlling everything, it, it is a fertile place for all this kind of conspiracism to uh, reassert itself in the digital age. So I would advise everybody to really learn about it and see how it has evolved into what it is now. Uh, so you can, or so everyone can collectively push back against it because that's, uh, all we can really do to fight this kind of stuff. So thank you very much. You're very welcome. Thanks for that. And uh, I just want to go back with John's here. We're, we're looking at uh, the two major issues here, Mariupol, Nazov cell plant, and Izium, uh, sorry, three, Izium axes and uh, possible faint from Belarus. And I, I'll say that it's a faint because I, I just don't see it actually doing something uh, more productive than that. Um, let's go ahead and uh, let's go ahead on that vein. So, anyone have an update of from as of stall that's from the last few hours? Well, I can tell you that it's under heavy bombardment and has been stormed by the Russians. Um, there's 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 a couple of fires ongoing uh, at the moment in in the plant. Um, there's reports of it. There, there have been a, a great deal of Russian soldiers within within the plant. Um, like they weren't within the plant itself. Basically, we're not sure. I don't think they're underground within the within the rat runs, but they are um, a certain trying to assert their dominance. Anyway, um, there was a representative from the Ukrainian government on the news, and he said the same thing. He said that it was under heavy bombing and had been stormed by the Russians and they had lost communications with the, the people inside. All right. Uh, uh, we're looking uh, do, 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 do is the access or we're just going to go. I'm going to dig up some information. We're going to stop for now. Go ahead. Hi. All right. So first, uh, I'm very excited tomorrow. I think or after tomorrow, there will be open discussion between two great men, historians, 
which I admire. Uh, one is the best on Ukrainian, probably best living history on Ukrainian history. It's uh, uh, Serhii Plahi. And second is probably one of the best living on world history, which is Noah, uh, Yuval Harari. So they both will have discussion uh, tomorrow. And it's very interesting subject. So, so it's, it's pointed to future. Of course, with Harari, it's always pointed mostly to future. And with Plohi, with his deep, deep knowledge and westernized knowledge of Ukraine, he's a professor of Harvard University. Uh, so it will be super uh, interesting discussion, and I will announce when I when recording it will be available. Right, and a quick comment about um, Belarus. Uh, please don't give them too many credits; they don't deserve. Uh, same like with Russians. Um, um, I mean, government is horrible in Belarus. Uh, not less horrible than in Russia. No, no, no questions. Uh, but Tikhonovskaya never won an election. It's also true. She was trending. She was competing. She was unfairly banned uh, and, pre and, pre and persecuted in the br most brutal way. This is reality. But uh, still, this is, Belarusian society is not pro-Western. It's something more to se similar to Serbian society. So um, don't, don't make expectations with, which will discourage us. And we don't know how this outdated army and Belarusian army definitely outda look, looks outdated. But when they smell blood, we don't know how they will start acting. So, yes, they're still danger. They're still uh, partners of evil. And, uh, yeah. Uh, and I have a question about Georgia to Alex, but uh, maybe it's too much changing. I, I, I'm trying to understand a Georgian uh, dream. Uh, Alex, are you here? Can I have a question to you? Um, what is the essence of Georgian dream? Why it's attracting so many Georgians? Thank you. Maybe it's someone has Georgia on their mind. Go ahead, Cajun. Georgia on my mind is a song. Go ahead, Cajun. Yeah, guys, I have a question. Um, I'm interested in the Belarusian uh, story from this perspective. It seems from an outside observer that the Russians attempted to be kind of too clever by half in, in a couple of stages where they, they looked like, or there were reports that they staged quite a few wounded in Belarus, causing a blood shortage, which is impossible to hide from a population. Um, if you try to go get your elective heart surgery and you can't get heart surgery because there's no blood because it's all being given to Russian soldiers, um, it's, it's a secret that's hard to keep. And then if you start storing uh, soldiers' bodies in Belarus uh, so you can't, uh, you know, your Uncle Boris, who couldn't get his heart surgery, now can't be, you can't wait till the weekend to bury him because the hospital doesn't have any room in the morgue. You can't keep that from a society either. Um, were the Russians, my question is this, I guess, was the, was the Russian attempt to hide casualties from the Russian people, did that inadvertently knock Belarus out of the war, resulting in this, you know, the Belarusian railway war, as it's been talked about, where they were sabotaged with Belarusian rails. I'd be very curious if there's any, anyone has any information in that regard. Thank you. I think we're giving too much credits to sabotage from the inside and kind of refocusing the the effort to there 
while in reality the effort from the inside unfortunately again to a great dismay is not there so so-called partisans most likely the 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 network was affected by outside interference via intercoms not intercoms but via networks and networking and uh, not by essentially blowing up rails or something like that same with russia thank you walter i appreciate that thank you very much i'm gonna have to pop off walter take the call uh in about uh, five minutes so uh you guys got this and i'll be back later uh john i'll see you soon Are you with us? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes, copy. All right. Let's roll. All right. Let's go to uh, current resident. Please go ahead. Hello, everybody. Can you hear me? Yes, we can. Loud and clear, ma'am. Please go ahead. Um, hello. Um, I'm sorry to bring this topic back up, but I wanted to express my gratitude to Uliana and Yehuda for speaking up against the claims of the lack of anti-Semitism. As I think I've mentioned um, in the past, was part involved in the doctor's plot. In fact, spent a couple of years in Gulag during it. And um, it, again, all our records said that we were Jewish. Teachers in school in Lviv screamed at us, Jews, to get out and go back to Israel. So it's really tough to kind of listen to the claims like that. Thank you. So I'm from Lviv. I haven't heard something like that, but it's my anecdotal experience. I've been uh, born in 1988 went to a good school in Lviv. Uh, haven't noticed that, let's put it this way. Uh, again, I'm not diminishing it. Unfortunately, bigoted people are everywhere. Well, it probably, Walter, um, our, we left Soviet Union in 88. <laughs> so it was prior to your time. So I went to school number 52 <laughs> when the Santa um, Anna Church was still uh, a furniture store. Oh, right. Yeah. I, I went to number four. Oh, okay. Okay. Thank you. Just wanted to mention that. Thank you so much, guys. Yeah, well, gradually it got better. But, uh, yeah, as I said, unfortunately, bigoted people are, are everywhere. And uh, 
Yeah, and, and it's, I'm, it's something that should be addressed. Yeah. And I'm not saying that it's specifically Ukrainian. I'm just saying that that was the culture in Soviet Union and in Russia. And so, yeah, it's not specific to that. It was just such a big part of Soviet Union. Thank you. Oh, thank you. Have you traveled to Lviv uh, anytime recently? No, I haven't been to Lviv since that since we left. Yeah. Oh, you're missing a lot. Honestly, I'm sure. the city, the city uh, changed drastically during last ten years specifically. Um, ten years made a big difference. It's a uh, night and day. But, for the better. Well, it has always been a beautiful city. So, in fact, the other day, Stop Revengeism was saying that why not in, um, invade Vienna? My response to that is why would you inv- in, uh, need Vienna if you have Lviv? There's a lot of similar architecture. It's a beautiful city. Corazons. Corazons. Yeah. Stop Revengeism is a very staunch... Uh supporter of uh, invading uh, bakeries to get corazons, but please carry on. Uh, I'm sorry. Oh, we, we, we got those in Lviv. Lviv has... Jolly actually enjoyed those, and thank you. Lviv has incredible bakeries, has always had incredible bakeries. Yeah, so we can just... And now has a cat cafe, so I'm very excited about it. I'll have to visit. Thank you. Nope, you should... And uh, I should travel back again because I'm missing it for uh, two and a half years. Uh, let's head back to you, Em. Copy that. And since we're on the topic of uh, Corazons and Stop Revengeism and Vienna, so Stop Revengeism, by all means, go ahead. Oh, wow, guys, thank you for this sequel for me. Uh, it's actually, I already explained why I brought name of Vienna, but not all of you heard. It it sounds ridiculous, probably, uh, uh, when I'm saying that Russians can invade Vienna <laughs> sooner than Lviv, but I can explain why. And the obviously, it's obvious reason to me. I visited Vienna recently, and I was appeased because they confused me with Russian. My name is very, for many in Vienna, sounds Russian. My accent sounds Russian. So they confused me with Russian. And they starting appeasing me, saying how much they love Soviet Union, Russians and so on. You will never hear something like this in Lviv. Lviv is not anti-Russian city at all. There are many people speak on the street of Lviv. Let's just, let's, just, let's just refrain from personal anecdotes, and if you have another question or another topic that you would like to bring up to discussion, let's focus uh, on It's that. not an anecdote, huh, guys. Okay, anyway, up to you. We were told by Polish people in 1990s Russian will ne- uh, that you are appeasing Russians for wrong reasons, and we got now this war. So Pol- Polish were right in 1980, 1990s, telling us this. We didn't believe them. Now you don't believe me about Vienna? Watch history. If they've not stopped in, in Ukraine, you will see who is next. Anyway, next subject. Um, uh, Alex raising he- hand here. And yesterday I was listening amazing podcast um, of, of Polish, um, uh, Polish podcast in English uh, about Georgia with Georgian participant. And this Georgian explained very well. Um, I think it's called... Um, Eastern European podcast from Poland, uh, conducted by Maciek 
uh, by the way, we have Machik here, but I think it's different Machik, and, um, by, and by American guy. Anyway, um, uh, the, the discussion was about how come Georgia in this position toward war in Ukraine, because this is a very controversial position. There are already many sparking happening between Ukraine and Georgia, between Georgia and European Union now. And uh, uh, so, in, in, and the essence of this uh, scandal, basically, it's uh, the party which is ruling Georgia for already like 10 years, I think, called Georgian Dream. Um, they sell to Georgians, they started selling it uh, when it was last term of, of um, uh, Saakashvili, President Saakashvili, pro-Western president. And they took power after him. I think it was 2012. And since that time, they grabbed majority of Georgians and they sell to them successfully some idea of Georgian success in friendship with Russia. And I suspect I know what kind of dream it is. I afraid I am right. Because Georgians were very successful uh, in the USSR and they know reasons of this success. Um, they, it was uh, most influential criminals in USSR, uh, um, uh, most influential um, corrupt uh, schemes uh, around this. Is it that what a Georgian dream selling to Georgians successfully, Alex? To to uh, this, no. this. No. Thank Alex, you, may, may, may Alex. May, may hang on. This? Yes, you will. Mm-hmm. I was going to give you the mic, but first of all, it's Mache, and we've only had one Mache, so it's not oh. magic. It's Mache. Okay. And we've only had one match, eh? and you're absolutely 100% wrong. But Alex, please go ahead. Thank you. Yeah, thank you for listing all those uh, all those topics from Russian propaganda, because I don't have to enlist them myself. Uh, so uh, first of all, if you think that uh, majority of Georgians support Georgian Dream, which is a political organization, it's a horseshit. It's like um, assuming that majority of Belarusians support Lukashenko. Like I said, it's horseshit. There are dozens of political parties in Georgia, and all of them, like all of them, every single one of them is against Georgian Dream. Now, big biggest portion of Georgian Dream are career functioners, shall we say so. Most of them actually started their career under... Saakashvili, and they they successfully moved into kind of Georgian dream kind of thing. So consider this as a career uh, bureaucrats. They will um, try to fit uh, any party, no matter which one uh, comes to power. As for Georgian population supporting Georgian dream, like I already said, it's a horseshit. Their biggest support was in 2012. And it was promised on absolutely baseless promises, like everyone will become rich and almost millionaire. And um, yes, this guy with Russian money, he did bribe a few of so-called intelligentsia who were famous, like people know their names. And uh, when they say something, they are quite influential because people love them. Actors from movies, you know, athletes, um, that kind of stuff. So when they speak, and, and Georgia is a small nation, when they speak, they kind of, their words have power. But like I said, it was in 2012. Everybody saw that none of those promises came to life. Um, and uh, they actually 
realized that the best time was time of active reforms, which were held by Saakashvili himself. Uh, so I would place Georgian politics today, uh, yeah, as for criminals. Actually, Saakashvili uh, deleted that uh, pretty much like, um, yeah, he, he fought against those uh, Georgian criminals, but Russia supports them. Like most of Georgian criminals within Russia or even outside Russia are supported by, um, by KGB, pretty much. Thank and, you, Alex. Uh, Thank you, Alex. Thank you, Alex. Hang on. No, no, no. Hang on. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Three times. Please continue. Yeah. So those criminals.